0: Hi, and welcome back. This is Dutch the Podcast. My name is Mike, and joining me, as always, publisher of Dutch the Magazine and all things Dutch at Dutch the Media, Tom Byfoot. How's it going, Tom? I'm doing
1: very well. How are you, uh, Mike? Uh, great to see you again.
0: Um, nice to see you as well. you are uh, It's so funny, because today's show kind of, uh, we traverse the uh, the whole country to, to make sure the interviews happen. You're on the West. I'm uh, in, in the East. And uh, our guest uh, at another point in Canada altogether. But uh, it's d- delightful to be back with you.
1: Yeah, it's great. And, and we're going to be doing another 10 episodes. Uh, so, uh, you know, stay stay tuned for, uh, for what's coming next.
0: Well, uh, we're kicking off the next 10 with a really good guest today. And we'll get to Karen in just a couple of minutes uh, and uh, get you to set her up. But a, a couple of things that I did want to mention as I reach for my keyboard here. We always encourage you. Look at this, Tom. I don't want to come off over-professional here in any way, but we do love it when you reach out to us. So <laughs> don't hesitate to contact us with your questions and your feedback at uh, dutchthemedia.com. You'll find a form there uh, where you can certainly contact us. What else is at Dutch The Media?
1: Everything. Everything is at Dutch The Media. Our books, uh, for example, our Dutch in Wartime uh, book series, which will come up during the, um, the chat we're going to have, the conversation we're going to have with Karen Hunter, Um, who organized this uh, amazing tour uh, of the Netherlands uh, that everyone has to hear about and that we're going to be talking uh, about with her uh, in the upcoming interview. Uh, But yeah, the Dutch and wartime series, my own book, um, uh, the beautiful book from uh, episode four, uh, when we spoke to uh, Rosemary Sloat about her parents' immigration experience. Uh, and everything that we publish, our Dutch language newspaper, everything can be purchased through dutchthemedia.com. Uh,
0: today's guest comes right out of the pages of uh, Dutch, the magazine. Um, and, you know, it's it's wonderful. Uh, we're putting this out, uh, if you're not watching it right away, putting this out in time. There it is right there. So,
1: so this is the uh, the issue in which uh, Karen's story appears. It's a July-August issue, but it can be uh, purchased uh, through our website, back uh, copies or... Um, or um, digital copies. So um, yeah, Karen organized this tour for children and um, descendants of uh, Canadian veterans who uh, who uh, served in Europe during uh, World War II. And, and well, maybe we should just listen to what Karen has to say about it.
0: It's a fascinating interview. Uh, we'll leave it to you and Karen and this incredible story.
1: So welcome to Dutch, the podcast, uh, Karen. Um, We're talking to uh, Karen Hunter, who is the uh, executive director of uh, the Canadian Remembrance Torch. Uh, Karen, could you tell us what the Canadian Remembrance Torch is?
2: The mission of the Canadian Remembrance Torch is to energize remembrance and to create a culture of gratitude for the sacrifices that have been made for peace and freedom, especially uh, among the younger generation, uh, among our youth, and um, to encourage them to um, be mindful of this.
1: So, so, so um, you're a, a not-for-profit um, organization, right? Yes.
2: Um, yes. And, and you're,
1: you're new, right? you you've only been around for a few years. Is that correct? Yeah.
2: That's right. Really, uh, the the, uh, essence of the charity began in 2019 as uh, the not-for-profit in our father's footsteps. And uh, then um, a couple of years after that, um, during the the postponement of that event, I registered uh, the charity as registered charity, the Canadian Remembrance Torch.
1: And, and you've done a lot of things with the, uh, with the organization already. And I'm sure we'll get to that. But may, maybe let's, let's go back to the beginning. Um, this all um, stems from your own family background. And, and, and you're growing up um, with a veteran father that you really didn't know much about what, uh, what had transpired during the war for both your parents. Uh, maybe start there.
2: Yes, exactly. Growing up, my father never spoke about the war, uh, really much like all of our veterans. Um, and frankly, I never really asked him about it either, uh, though I knew that the the Second World War uh, had played a, a significant role in my parents' lives and, and had really changed their lives. Um, and I, I knew this just by the... Um, uh, the various um, mementos around the house that um, that were unusual—a pair of small Dutch clogs, um, uh, photos. Uh, at Christmas, we would receive Christmas cards from from people with very unusual-sounding names for us at that age. And um, my mother always wore a watch that um, I found in later years uh, had been given to her by her. Uh, fiance. She was engaged uh, at the, the time of, of the war and uh, he served with the Royal Canadian Air Force. Uh, he was a pilot and his plane was shot down over Germany on Valentine's Day in 1945. And uh, she always wore that watch. And um, so, as I say, we we never asked many questions, but we always knew that my parents had this this backstory.
1: Yeah. So, so, so your mother lost her fiance during the war, and and your father served uh, in in Europe during the war. So, yeah, that's a heavy burden, and you often hear that. And my 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 uh, grandfather, he was in the merchant marine, and he he uh, sailed the convoys. He never spoke about those times, and and you see that with many many veterans, right?
2: Yes, yes. I th- I think it was typically the case. Uh, they tended to put those memories. Uh, far in the back of their minds. And uh, at least in my father's case, he had a very uh, positive attitude to life. He was always very upbeat. Um, you know, it didn't, uh, one of his favorite expressions, when it, whenever there was any sort of an argument or um, any sort of negativity around, he would always sort of stop the conversation and say, you know, it's a beautiful day, the sun is shining and the birds are singing, and that was our cue that that was the end of that uh, line of conversation. And yeah. um, I wonder years later if it was his way of coping with uh, the, some of the um, the memories.
1: Yeah, and and you know that uh, we know a lot about uh, post-traumatic stress disorder now, and and I'm not saying that's the case in, in your father's case, but you hear a lot about people who you know try to keep those memory under lock and key, but then at some point they spill out. Now that happened with your dad as well, I believe, right?
2: Yes, well, it, it never really spilled out in the same way as it, as it did, I believe, for, for many other veterans, because what was interesting for me when I was organizing the event in our father's footsteps, and um, Canadians would reach out to me, and their, their first line was always, my father never talked about the war. It kind of became a bit of a code. Uh, if, if you said the code, you were part of the group, and um and I, I came to think after a while that that um, many of us uh, experienced sort of the same um, lifestyle growing up, or, or you know, experience. Um, and I remember one of one of the uh, participants corrected me and said, you know, um, there are a lot of similarities about um, our parents' war experience, but I know that um, that there are many differences, because I don't think that your father experienced uh, nightmares and alcoholism and uh, these sorts of things, and he certainly didn't, so um, so that when it came spilling out, as, as you say, um, it was in a very positive way. It was, um, he wrote this memoir uh, very late in life, and um in the introduction, he says that he was writing that for, uh, for the family uh, to answer questions we may have had or and provide information we may not know. And um, But even his memoir was very upbeat. There really aren't um, uh, many, if very few stories that are sad or um, um, really have any sort of uh, the, the, the details you would associate with war.
1: Yeah, and he did experience those. I think one of the stories. Uh, so, so uh, just for our listeners, you wrote an article for Dutch The Magazine that was published in our July August uh, twenty twenty three issue, um, in which you talk about uh, his uh, his friend Harry, um, and and that you know was was uh, maybe you can can talk about that a little bit and and what he experienced in his campaign from Italy to the Netherlands uh, in, in Europe.
2: Yes, and it's Harry is kind of an incredible story, I I think. Um, Where it started was, as you say, in my father's memoir, I read about Harry. It was really one of the only sad events that he had documented. And he explained that they had enlisted together in Toronto. My dad was 22. Harry was older, he was in his 30s. And they both enlisted with the the 30th light anti-aircraft unit. And um, they became very good friends and did a lot of things together, trained together across the country. And then at some point, uh, they went their separate ways. Uh, My father went to the UK to run a a motorcycle school. And I'm not exactly sure where Harry went, but somewhere else. And um, then later in the memoir, he talks about how thrilled he was uh, when in Italy, uh, lo and behold, he runs into Harry again and they were part of the same regiment. And um, he was he was really quite excited about that. And um, however, uh, it was shortly after they entered uh, Holland in it was in, uh, in April just before the war ended. And um, over the radio, my father heard that Harry had been shot and killed. And he raced there by Jeep and arrived just as they were sewing Harry up in his blanket. And so he helped to transport Harry to, um, to his temporary place of burial. And um, so that that was the beginning only of the, the Harry story. Um, what ended up happening is when I went to the Netherlands to um, do research for In Our Father's Footsteps, I went to Holton and uh, which became harry's final resting place yeah holton's
1: the big uh, canadian war cemetery where many many veterans uh, found yes. their last resting place
2: exactly so i went to uh, to pay my respects at at harry's grave and left a stone harry harry was jewish and uh, I left a stone on on his headstone. And while I was there, the people at Holton told me that they had some new information about Harry and they gave it to me. And lo and behold, I discovered that Harry was born in the community where I live in Guelph, Ontario. He wasn't born in Toronto as my father would have thought. And um, so when I returned to Guelph, um, I went to the museum and happened to mention to them that I'd noticed his name wasn't on the cenotaph and they assured me that it should be once they had done their their research. And um, so come Remembrance Day that year, they added Harry's name to the Guelph Cenotaph. And you might think that the story ends there, which frankly, even at that point, it was a very strange feeling for me because I felt like I'd altered my father's memoir. That wasn't how the story ended in in his world. Um, Harry wasn't on the Guelph Cenotaph, it was like, but I realized it was sort of part of of my story and and the beginning of a whole new story. Um, So in any case, I posted on social media um, that um, his name had been added to the Cenotaph and um, it was just really just a brief uh, social media post on, on Facebook. Soon after that, I got a message from someone. And he said, uh, someone from your organization uh, has posted a story about my great uncle. And it turned out his name was Elliot Schiff. Harry was his great uncle. And he'd been writing a book about Harry. And he'd been going across the country interviewing veterans and and he po- he put a note in uh, or an ad i guess in the legion magazine lost trails asking was there anyone who knew harry and uh, that could tell him about him and my father responded and so he read a letter that my father had written to him about Harry. And you didn't
1: know about the letter, uh, Karen?
2: No, no, I didn't know about oh, that's any of it. It's amazing. Wow. And um, so then at that point, of course, I told him I was thinking about organizing um, in our father's footsteps. And of course, he said, you know, I have to come on this event. And uh, he brought his brother from uh, Israel. And um, the rest of the story uh, is uh, is is in the article, as as you know. Um, essentially, the um, our, our the Dutch volunteers uh, kind of recreated the whole hairy story in the Netherlands for our pilgrimage. So on one of the days, we took a detour uh, from our path along the steps of the Canadian troops um, to this field um, and. Um, In the field were uh, 14 hand-painted crosses, one with the Star of David, and photos of those that had been temporarily buried there. And uh, the Dutch volunteers found the woman who had lived in that farmhouse um, back um, when she was 14 at the time Harry was buried there. And uh, so she attended what turned out to be a ceremony we held there. She brought her grandchildren who were her age when uh, she, Past these graves each day on her way to school, and she laid field flowers there. And as part of the ceremony, um, her grandchildren laid field flowers on these graves. And, um, and it didn't even stop there. They took us to the farm where um, Harry was actually killed. And the grandfather still lives there. He remembers the day. And I remember him saying that he recalled a Jeep coming there to pick up the body that had been sewn into the blankets and take it for burial. Well, of course, this would have How been would father your father, be. right? Yes. Yeah, so yeah. Um, it was one of many incredible stories that we experienced uh, in, in our father's footsteps that. Uh, yeah.
1: I'm I, I, reading that. It's absolutely fascinating. It's amazing because I didn't know that the rest of the backstory that you got in touch with uh, was his, 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 um, uh, I suppose it's grandnephew uh or niece. Yes. Um yes. and um but let's go back to in our father's footsteps, uh, because uh what exactly is that? How how did you get the inspiration to organize that and and then uh, the amazing success it had? I, I read about 150 participants and you even having to turn people away. So yes. what what prompted how... the <laughs> The organization of that tour
2: yes well it was it was kind of what you might think of as a, as a perfect storm of events i had uh, i just turned 50 and i was um ready to climb kilimanjaro it was something i wanted to do as as uh, a celebration of, of that event and um just a few weeks before i left my father died And um, so everything kind of of, of came together in that event, and um, climbing Kilimanjaro was um, not unlike some of the the spiritual journeys I took after that. Uh, Certainly Kilimanjaro kind of became the the seed of of that um, path. Um, And, so that after after Kilimanjaro, um, I, I did a number of things. Uh, I lived for a time with um, with some monks in the Himalayas uh, at a monastery. Um, I did a silent retreat in India and. Um, Went across the tar desert by a camel, um, a number of very sort of um, long spiritual journeys that give you time to to really think. And um, the the one I took just prior to um, making this uh, decision uh, was the Camino, and um, and certainly it's 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 a very long long walk. And um, I began to think about. Um, about my father's experience and and how the the Second World War had changed both his life and my mother's life and by extension my life. And uh, that's when I got this idea that wouldn't it be interesting to use my father's memoir as a guide and inspiration to walk in his footsteps in the Netherlands for uh, the 75th anniversary of the Dutch liberation and end of the Second World War. And at that time, it was just my own personal journey. I was just going to do it myself. And I enlisted the help of uh, the Dutch family that had billeted my parents when they went back for the liberation anniversaries in 1985 and 1995. And I didn't know what they would make of the idea, but they, they embraced it wholeheartedly so, so this is a
1: dutch couple younger right um yes born, well, born so after the war young. probably
2: yeah well back in 85 had a very young family and uh they billeted my parents in Apeldoorn, and um so that well, was they in, went
1: back for the uh, libera- uh the celebration liberation. of yes. um, 40 years of liberation right
2: exactly exactly and then they went back again for the uh for the 50th anniversary and by then the couple had moved to Uden. Uh, but they were insistent that my my parents stay with them again and um, that family over the course of, of years now over 30 30 years 30, 35 years um, have become part of our family and um, we're, we're very close and the the wife ons their name Peter and ons ons um, has been to Canada oh almost annually uh, since then and um, uh, just such a a wonderful kind person. I can think even even when my father um, passed away. After he passed away in 2009, Anz would come um, for a couple of weeks uh, to stay with my mother and just pamper her. She would, uh, you know, cook for her and read with her and take her wherever she wanted to go and just be her companion for a couple of weeks. So uh, very very special people. And uh, so when I told them about this, as I say, they they just embraced the idea and decided that it was my dream and that my dream needed to come true and they would make it come true and um that's what they said about doing and uh by amazing coincidence peter the husband had um had exactly the right background in um travel and um logistics and he was ex-military as well and um so they, they were determined to make it come true. So I traveled to the Netherlands in 2019 to do research. And we were going to try to figure out where had my father gone and what was his path. And um, at that time, I walked in the four days marches. And as I was walking along the, the Via de Gladiola... Yeah, for, for, our,
1: for our listeners, maybe the four-day yes. marches, that's an annual event in the Netherlands, in, in the town of Nijmegen, where um, participants uh walk 40 kilometers uh for four day four consecutive days and then on the final day they finish in name and there's a big party and there's people along the streets uh handing out flowers um and and it's a big event and, and there are a lot of um, um groups that participate that I, I, in that as groups right so, sorry to interrupt uh, Karen, yes, no, that's a, that's,
2: a, that's a good description and um uh, though as you say the walk is is pretty grueling and and again or at least for a novice like me, it could be
1: very hot right as well uh, I it, don't know it, how, it, how it was yes. when you were there
2: yes and uh certainly by the the fourth day uh of, of that marathon uh, you're certainly feeling it but it, again it's 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 a little bit like the Camino in the sense that it's a very long walk and it gives you a lot of time to think and um so as I was finishing the walk along the Via de Gladiola and there was this massive outpouring of Dutch love, and many of them knew I was Canadian. And, and I thought to myself that um, other descendants of Second World War veterans who served in the Netherlands really need to see this because it, it's truly um, inexplicable. My father had tried to describe it and, uh, and he would usually finish by saying there just aren't any words for it, <laughs> and which, which didn't help. And uh, so you, you really have to experience it to, to really understand it. And um, so it was at that moment that I thought I really must invite other people. And uh, so when I returned to Canada, I, um, I did a, a large number of uh, interviews and um, across the country and uh, basically put out an in- invitation countrywide for anyone who wanted to join me on this journey. And uh, I had no idea whether anyone would be interested in coming. And um, I was amazed, you know, hundreds more than hundreds. I'm
1: because I know what happened, right? Uh,
2: yes. Yeah hundreds of people contacted me and you know it was never um a situation where they would say you know this sounds interesting or 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 something like that the the responses were were all the same in addition to saying my father never talked about the war that was the opener they would always say things like oh my god this is incredible i have to go make sure my name's on the list i don't care just make sure my name's on the list and uh, that was the standard reaction um, it, people were were over the top. They would say they'd wanted to do it all their lives.
1: It, you, I mean, you, you experienced it, and and you knew, know why uh, the children of the veterans have that feeling. But is there a way you can describe that, explain that, why that huge uh, interest, and 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 why it was so emotional for so many many of you?
2: Well, what I believe, and and it's really part of the reason I founded the the charity, is that. There is a huge need for Remembrance in Canada and very few, if any, opportunities beyond November 11th. And um, so it became my mission to create these opportunities that people could become engaged with and immersed in Remembrance and so that was that was one of the the reasons and, and one of the um, incentives for me to create the charity. The other was that many many people contacted me and would say that they um, they'd always wanted to share their father or their grandfathers or their uncles um, war experience with their children or their grandchildren, and they they didn't know what it was. They they couldn't find the information. It was so hard to research. And uh, so that was another incentive for, for me and um, among my initiatives to make it easier for Canadians to, um, to obtain this information and to share the stories. And, um, but certainly there was just a, a massive, uh, massive interest. I had a huge waiting list. People were literally kind of fighting among each other to be the one to be picked as the next uh, person uh, to be able to go, I, I could have filled the trip several times
1: back and in. And how many? Uh, in the end, did you take uh, end up taking uh, on the tour?
2: How many? And uh, in okay. the in twenty twenty two, there were about hundred. There were originally okay. 150 and uh, that was as many as we could accommodate in some of the venues. And uh, otherwise, it could have even been more. But um, but then, so as as you know, it was scheduled for May twenty twenty, and then of course COVID hit, which. Yeah. Uh, which devastated us that we were on such a high at that point. Um, but in, and, and, and so were the, the, the Dutch volunteers, because on the, on the other side of the ocean, uh, Peter and Hans had amassed literally an army of, of volunteers. And, uh, so everybody was really, really disappointed. And so then in May, 2020, we felt pretty confident. I mean, it was such a, such a crazy, unusual thing to have happen th- that we thought, well, okay, then it'll be May, 2021. What can you do? And, uh, we, we just assumed that's what was happening. Then of course, as you know, May 2020, uh, 2021 came along and then, um, we postponed it to September, 2021, uh, May, 2022 and then it happened in September, 2022. And by then, um, there were still a number of people very concerned about traveling during COVID, and so uh, that was that was why the numbers reduced at that point. And so many people were so sad about it, saying, "I, I really want to come, but I'm just not comfortable yet." So. Yeah, no, I understand.
1: Now, for um, just to uh, change uh, topics a little bit. Um, Behind you, for the people watching this on YouTube and not just listening on uh, on Spotify, um, you have a, an object behind you um, yes. that is the torch that uh, that you carry. Can you tell me a little bit about the torch and how how that came about?
2: Yes, the Canadian Remembrance Torch. It came about during the postponement, uh, which was basically about two and a half years. Um, between when we were meant to go in May 2020 and September 2022. I partnered with McMaster University and a team of engineering students there uh, designed and built the Canadian Remembrance Torch. And um, I don't know if you can, if you can see, but um, it's very much uh, Dutch-themed with, um, with tulips and um, maple leaves, representing the friendship between the two countries. The ascending doves for uh, peace, or uh, sorry, peace, and the um, the souls that were lost during the, the Second World War, and along the bottom are and top are, are um, curved lines representing water and the the uh, significance of water during the the Second World War, and especially in the Netherlands. And um, yes, yeah, so I mean, as I was. Um, um, organizing In Our Father's Footsteps originally in 2019, and during all of my interviews, I kept saying to, to people, you know, together as the next generation, we'll carry the torch of remembrance, and I realized there was just nothing there, and there needed to be. And um, so, as I say, the, the university held a, a design competition, and the winning team built and designed this uh, torch, And uh, it came with us and the the student team also to the Netherlands. Oh, that's
1: amazing. So the students uh, joined you on the tour.
2: Yes, yes. So the the students also came. They carried the torch. The torch led the the Canadian contingent as we walked through uh, farmers' fields and forests and liberated villages. And uh, the torch was there uh, there the whole time. And... uh,
1: yeah. Wow, that's that's amazing. And, and, and it's also great that you got the younger generation because I, I wanted to note um, your tagline on your website says reframing remembrance for the next generation. Maybe right. we can get to that uh, towards the end um, of our conversation. But first, I'd like to ask you, uh, because, you know, I'm Dutch. I grew up in the Netherlands. Uh, we heard about the war uh, all the time. Uh, and we also heard, heard about the role the Canadians played in the liberation of Holland. So I'm just wondering if you could describe your reception in the Netherlands by, by the Dutch public and your Dutch volunteers. Now, how many Dutch volunteers were involved in the organization? And, and how how were you received in, in the various towns and villages? And, and what kind of really special uh, ceremonies stand out for you?
2: Oh. well, you won't be surprised, I'm sure, to hear that that we received just a, an incredible welcome from the Dutch. Um, I sound like my father when I say there's there are no words to describe it. Um, but um, as we as we would walk, for instance, into the villages, uh, as I say, we were led by the torch, and ahead of the torch, we often had a, a pipe band, and we would we would come through the torch and the, or through the village, and they would be clapping and cheering and um, just just incredible welcomes. Uh, and it seemed that the smaller the village, the grander the welcome. Um, I can think of of one village uh, of Atten and uh, we, we nicknamed it the Singing Village of Etten. Um, every corner we went around, there was a, a choir singing and uh, just incredible voices. And um, uh, there were uh, bands, um, an orchestra. They played the the uh, Canadian Anthem, the Dutch Anthem. Um, just an, an incredible reception and um, we had another reception just almost shortly after that in Dudicum, very similar with refreshments and singing and dancing and um, just in- incredible. Um, so that there there were so many villages that that welcomed us like that. Um, in the little village of uh, Varnsfeld, they um, the community dedicated a plaque and a. A maple leaf tree to uh, in our father's footsteps, the the group, and uh, specifically to my father as the um, inspiration for um, for the pilgrimage, and uh, so that was very special. They had me unveil the the plaque um, in front of this uh, this maple leaf tree, and um, in the village of Almond was uh, was another very incredible ceremony um, that happened at night. Uh, we walked about a mile in the darkness, carrying uh, 40 torches, led by the Canadian Remembrance Torch. But each, uh, well, many of the participants, 40 of them, had, uh, carried um, large torches, and these torches represented uh, 40 Canadians who were temporarily buried in almond and uh, and later uh, moved to their their final resting places. Um, so we walked in the dark behind the, the pipe band, which was incredible. And, uh, we arrived in Almond and, uh, the, the community was all there and they placed all of the 40 torches in holders in the ground in the shape of a very large heart. And then, uh, we sat beside that. And, um, in the dark, we listened to a, a beautiful ceremony and, um, it was really, really a very uh, touching uh, special I- event. Um, and then, uh, of course, what can I say about uh, the event at Hatnu Palace with Princess Marguerite? Um, we uh, we walked uh, to the, the man with two hats, and we held a, a ceremony there. And um, then we walked up uh, Lulan to the palace and. Um, the, um, the Dutch organizers had arranged for there to be a large banner of my father off to one side as we were walking up, which uh, kind of uh, got my my. Uh, and
1: you you didn't know that know about that because I read about it in the article. So that was a real yes, surprise. Yes, oh, there you. were
2: lots of lots of little surprises that they had put in intentionally because i had been uh, quite involved with the organizing of the um, of the overall pilgrimage and um peter and Hans were determined that there would be some things that i wouldn't know about and so they they sprinkled those throughout so that it would be as um new for me as as for the participants so no i didn't know about this uh this huge banner um and um so we we uh, arrived at the palace and um Princess Marguerite participated in a passing the torch to the next generation ceremony. Yeah, and
1: Princess Marguerite, uh, the aunt of the uh, current uh, King of the Netherlands, but of course was born in Ottawa, uh, during the war, when um, her family were in exile in Canada, and she's always uh, held have had a very strong bond with Canada and speci- specifically with Canadian veterans. She always visits um, uh, veterans uh, when she visits Canada, which she often does. Um, and so, so you met with her, and, and she received you at her palace at Lowe uh, near Appledorn.
2: Yes, yes. So we had we had a lovely event there, and. Um... Yeah, those those were were some of the highlights. I okay, mean, right. every day, just uh, we just did incredible things. We had, uh, and not to mention, we we walked uh, the the sixty kilometers in the footsteps of the Canadian troops, uh, in platoons, and our platoons uh, matched the uh, the units our fathers had served in. Uh, we wore red vests, so we we really stood out wherever we went. It was like this uh, uh, river of red running through the the fields. And um, the, all of the Dutch volunteers uh, had, a, had a blue vest. There were, there were hundreds of them. Many of them yeah. walked with us. And um, so we, um, uh, we had uh, uh, guides that um, we had guides with us that explained everything around us. We had written guides that uh, told us everything uh, about our surroundings. Um, uh, lots of, of military-themed uh, aspects to, to the walk. Um, we we stayed in um, a place called Aserwald, which was uh, previously um, a Canadian field hospital, and uh, it was done up to make it feel like it was a barracks. It's it's a lovely, lovely hotel, but it was um, made to to feel like uh, barracks for us, and. Um, there were just so many incredible aspects to uh details that so many details that peter and annons included so that um it was a a very immersive experience not to mention we we of course uh, held many uh ceremonies and commemorations we visited the big three uh canadian war cemeteries at holton uh, Rosebank, and bergenot zone and um as well as many many canadian monuments and and we held um ceremonies at, at all of those and
1: um yeah what, what what um you know what a lot of canadians who don't have direct uh connections with this like you do uh, but a lot of canadians don't understand how deep that bond for the netherlands is with canada and how grateful even in you know i was born after the war but i carry that gratitude and and uh, so do many of my generation even our children um one of the uh, Things we did, uh, you asked us, um, we published a series of memoirs by Dutch people of the war called the the Dutch in wartime series. And a number of your participants and you yourself read the series in preparation for the walk. And maybe that just sketches a little bit why uh, the relief, the gratitude of liberation was so big because Holland had gone through um, a devastating winter uh, famine um, and had been under... Uh, Nazi occupation, uh, brutal occupation for five years. So uh, the liberation sh- could not have come any sooner. And and the Canadians played such a big part in the liberation of the Netherlands. We we probably don't have time to go into the Battle of the Scheldt, which is not that well known. But lots of Canadian uh, young men um, gave their lives in in that battle. Um, so so that's how it lives on in the Netherlands. But of course, we also would like to see it live on in, in Canada, and and maybe we can get back to that uh, reframing remembrance for the next generation a little bit. Karen, um, what um, what's your intention with that, and and how is that going?
2: Well, certainly in our father's footsteps, and the time that I've spent in the Netherlands has had a had a huge influence on uh, on the charity, and really serves as my inspiration. Um, you know the as you, as you say, whenever you go there, that 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 feeling of gratitude. Um, I I feel it's so important that um, that Canadians not only um, be aware of that Dutch gratitude, but um, you know I began thinking about what about our gratitude, and um, I I felt that um, it it really needed attention. That um, you know. Uh, all our lives, myself included. Frankly, um, I've taken that uh, gift that I've been given of peace and freedom for granted. I've I've never known anything but what I I have. And um, you know, when you go there and and you hear the stories, you read the stories, um, you begin to realize that it, it could have been very different. And um, so that much of what I do really is is kind of transporting many of the, the Dutch ideas and um, initiatives here to Canada. So that um, the idea for me and for, for the, the charity is that um, remembrance isn't uh, just something that happened in the past. It needs to be relevant for the present and for the future, and and that's how we will connect with the next generation. Because I know even myself, gosh, when I was when I was young, um, and I think to myself, heck, the Second World War happened like over ten years ago, <laughs> you know. And I think, what does that have to do with me? And and it happened way over in Europe. What does that have to do with me? And um, so it's it's a case of um, bringing that. Um, into the present, and and focusing on um, peace and freedom, and um, and and how we we need to to treasure that um, today and, and into the future. And um, as well, I think it's important that we um, we bring in other emotions. And this is done so well in the Netherlands, um, emotions beyond sadness. In Canada, um, in addition to the fact that it's very, uh, for instance, Remembrance Day is very Historically, or and it's something that you know we think about those who who um, died in the Second World War, First World War. That has been the focus, um, and and it's typically sad. Well, it, it's like your May Fourth, um, and but in our case, it's the only day of the year, November 11th. It's a very sad day, and that's really the only exposure young people get to it. And so when you, they just have to hear the word remembrance, and there's a certain heaviness to it, yeah. a sadness. And um, my goal is to, to bring in other emotions of, of pride, celebration, and, and the Dutch do this very well. And uh, so that, that is a, an aspect that I, I work um, really hard on. And then I, I suppose the third aspect is that in Canada, it's one day a year. Uh, whereas I believe that uh, our attitude should be that every day is a remembrance day not just November 11th. And, and again, this is done very well in the Netherlands. When I was there, there were year round commemorations. And um, so really the, the charity is an effort to bring many of the, the Dutch practices to, to Canada. And um, some of my initiatives are directly inspired from, uh, from Dutch initiatives. My initiative Faces to Names is directly inspired from Faces to Graves and um, the idea of faces to names, is to um, uh, put a a face and a a story to every Canadian who has um, died while in service to peace and freedom and um, so that every name on every cenotaph across the country has a, a photo and a, and a story, and um, there would be a QR code at the cenotaph or the cemetery so that you can access that person's uh, photo and story. And
1: that story would be online, the photo and the story would be online uh, then and reachable it, through that uh, it, QR Exactly,
2: code. and so the Faces to Names will really be an online remembrance resource um, that ideally will be built by and for students. Uh, they won't build the infrastructure, but they will build the content. And, um, and I'm hoping in that way that we can engage uh, young people because the uh, this resource would use uh, very modern technology and engagement techniques that um, that would engage them in ways that, that they haven't been engaged before. And it would um, provide a lot of information that um, has never known before through indexing and, and things of this nature. So, um, so Faces to Names, as I say, was, was very much inspired by um, a similar initiative in uh, in the Netherlands. And um, and then, of course, the, the Canadian Remembrance Torch. Uh, I didn't mention that when we were there after the, the ceremony at, at Het Lo, uh, we gifted uh, a replica of the Canadian Remembrance Torch to the Dutch Orange Committees. And uh, that torch has been used extensively since it was it was left there. So through 2023, um, here in Canada, this torch has um, has been to, to lots of very high profile uh, events across the country. Uh, for instance, the- uh, But to Parliament, the, Parliament
1: I, I saw as well, yes,
2: right? Yes, it's been to Parliament, it's been to the legislature. It, uh, the lighting of the torch in May opened the Canadian Tulip Festival. Um, it was also just recently in Ottawa at the Dutch Embassy's uh, exhibition on the uh, the Battle of the Schalt, And um, it was in Halifax for uh, the Navy's Fleet Week. It's uh, It's been all over the country. But at the same wow. time, the, the Replica Torch in the Netherlands, um, it had many events back in May and uh, just finished some events in September. And uh, it was part of the, the Nijmegen marches in July and uh, so it it is uh, extensively used there too
1: that's fantastic now i'm sure that a lot of listeners um would be interested to know if there is going to be a future tour now i believe you're planning something for the um what would it be the uh, 85th um celebration the, 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 uh, the 80th the 80th celebration
2: yes yes yeah. Yeah,
1: and, sure. um, but but to be clear, this this is for um, descendants of Canadian veterans who who um, fought in Europe, right? Who served yes. in Europe?
2: E- yes. Um, originally, we said who who had served in the Netherlands, but um, really, I guess it it really includes those who served in Europe because. Uh, um well they're various various circumstances the, the reality is they they all contributed to the end result um, so um but but to your point um it, back in uh, back in 2019 and 2020 when i was or originally organizing the pilgrimage i had so many dutch people contact me saying I have to come. I know it's for descendants of second, but I have to come. And um, it, it was so hard. I could have filled the trip many times with, with just Dutch people. Dutch immigrants
1: uh, to Canada, but no, it's for it's for children, grandchildren it, of veterans. It, 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 um,
2: it, it really is, but, but as well, interestingly, the, the event we originally planned for 2020, and then it happened in 2022, uh, was to be a one-time only event. And we were really quite adamant. One time only, once in a lifetime, that's it. Um, And then after it was over, it was realized that um, it was such a massive success for the participants and for the the Dutch volunteers that Peter approached me and he said, you know, I know you only do things once, but um, we found that we brought so much joy to so many Canadians. We have to do this again. And um, so the irony for me is that first time around, Peter was um, fulfilling my dream. And now this time, I think I may be fulfilling Peter's dream.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's wonderful. Well, maybe that's a good point to to end uh, the conversation on. uh, We're running uh, pretty close to time, Um, but is just, People would want to know, is the tour full yet, or is there still an opportunity for, uh, for people to join?
2: Oh, well, there, there will be absolutely opportunities to join. We aren't even um, initiating um, the, the registration or, or anything until 2024. So okay. uh, early in 2024, they can check the Facebook site for In Our Father's Footsteps and anything they'd want to know in terms of dates and registration, and it will all be posted there.
1: Okay. Uh, one other thing I wanted to say uh, to, to our listeners, check out the rap video that you have on your website. I really enjoyed that. That was so beautifully done uh, as well.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, Karen, I, I think we could talk for another hour and uh, uh, another few hours and still not be done. Unfortunately, I have to sort of wrap it here. Is there anything else you'd like to end on and anything you'd like to share?
2: Oh, well we've we've covered a lot um just that it's 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 been a wonderful experience for me and it's it's a um you know just a a passion that that grows and and i think anyone who travels to the netherlands and 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 feels the 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 dutch gratitude um can't help but be inspired to um become engaged with remembrance and learn more about it
1: can you just mention where we can find out more? What's the, what's your website, um, Facebook, etc.?
2: Yes, all of my social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, or what was previously Twitter, is at Canadian Torch. And um, the website is CanadianRemembranceTorch.ca. And within that site, you'll see the initiative in Our Father's Footsteps. If you click on that, it will take you to uh, the Inner Father's Footsteps website, but it won't actually be an active site until um, uh, probably early in 2024.
1: Okay. Well, uh, we'll we'll keep that in mind um, for all those children, grandchildren, great grandchildren of Canadian veterans who uh, who served in in Europe to liberate Europe uh, from oppression and to guarantee freedom going forward. Thank you so much, Karen, uh, for joining us on Dutch, the podcast.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Karen Hunter and the remembrance torch. What an incredible idea right out of the gate. It's such a beautiful idea, but uh, here's what I learned right there. These, the children of these veterans, uh, the people that served uh, in this uh, horrible, horrible war and and in the end, liberated the wonderful people of the Netherlands. These were stories that were only told in glimpses and little. The parents didn't talk about this. To unravel the story as a story of triumphant, um, you know, freedom and liberation was a really great way to spin Remembrance Day in Canada.
1: Isn't it amazing how how what started really as a personal quest for Karen uh, turned into an organization that brought uh, more than 100 people over from Canada to the Netherlands, engaged hundreds of Dutch volunteers, um, and has spawned an entire charity uh, that's bringing remembrance to the next generation. Um, Just uh, an amazing story. Uh,
0: and, And all the beautiful intent of the Netherlands with the detail that they put into this visit um what 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 transpired to me was just uh, uh, simply incredible and of course now uh, she puts it out there that this will be uh, what sounds like an ongoing uh, remembrance opportunity here in Canada
1: i believe so and 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 definitely they're planning for the uh, for the next anniversary in uh, 2025 uh and and you know through initiatives like these we will keep the remembrance going. And it's fascinating if you go to her website and see how young people were involved, for example, in in, in designing that torch or in in creating a rap song uh, about gratitude. Um, Great initiative. And and another great example of the the strong bond between Canada and the Netherlands that we, of course, um, cover in our magazines, in our books, all the time. So uh, that's what we're about. And, and we got a very clear picture about what uh, uh, the Canadian Remembrance Torch is all about as well.
0: I think it's pretty cool that she has that Remembrance Torch. I mean, that and the Stanley Cup in your house are are two of the <laughs> coolest things you can have on display of Canadiana. Uh, well, listen, uh, Tom, that was an incredible interview. Thank you for taking us uh, deeper into that story with Karen so that we can, as Canadians, uh, and and potentially as expats of the Netherlands and people who had that experience engage a little more. Uh, We certainly all appreciate that. I'll remind you, subscribe to this podcast right here. Many more great stories and go back in time because we've had an unbelievable lineup of great guests along the way to tell us their story and give us their Dutch perspective. Uh, And uh, I'll remind you one more time, Dutchthemedia.com, Get your most recent edition of Dutch the Magazine. Tom, what am I forgetting? Your fantastic book,
1: Hiding in Plain Sight. Um, Still available um, through Amazon or on our own website at dutchthemedia.com.
0: Tom, I'm glad to reunite with you. Thanks for your time today. Thank you. We'll see you next time.